Good morning, Radiant Church. Can we, get, can we just make some noise for the Lord this morning and His goodness this past year? Yeah. Jesus is good, and it has been a good year worshiping with you. And guess what? We get to do it all over again. Amen? Amen. I am so excited that you came to worship with us this morning. Uh, for you party animals out there, welcome. For those of you who are still at home, we miss you. We can't wait to see you next week. Welcome to our online family. And good morning. If it's uh, maybe your first week here or first week in a while or you're making church a part of your New Year's resolution, welcome. I'm so happy that you're here. My name is Maddie and I'm one of the pastors here at Radiant Church and we're excited to get this party started together this morning. If it is your first time here or first time in a while, there is a connect card in front of you. I'd love it if you filled that out, just a way for us to get to know you, um, to pray for you, uh, and to walk this journey with you. You can give that to me if you're feeling really brave. It's in the seat pocket in front of you, or you can drop it in the bucket over there. And again, we'd just love to pray for you, take you out to coffee, learn your name, and get to know you. How's that for you? I'm going to read something for you this morning. It goes like this. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born from the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, buried, descended to hell, and on the third day rose again from the dead ascended to heaven, sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the remission of sins, the resurrection of the flesh, and eternal life. Amen. I just read to you what is called the Apostles' Creed. And some of you may have heard this before, and to some of you this may be brand new. So let me give you a little bit of a background for this, okay? The definition of a creed is a formal statement of Christian belief. The Apostles' Creed represents a form of what the early church would call like a rule of faith. The early Christians were guided by this rule of faith, the Holy Spirit working in communities and individuals together and with the authoritative scriptures. They would recite the Apostles' Creed or something similar to one another, and this was known as a distinctive mark of Christians in the early church. The Apostles' Creed has origins going all the way back to 341 A.D. It's old. It truly is an incredible piece that our brothers and sisters have been reciting in this community for years and years and years. A lot of churches still recite it today. But what else do we know about the early church? The early church was not a church that just simply recited creeds, that just simply said the words. The early church were seers and doers of the word. Simply to say the creed was not enough. It was something that had to permeate their innermost being. We see a beautiful description of the early church in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I'll read it for you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Interesting. 
They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, daily, to those being saved. The early church was talking the talk, and they were walking the walk. And here's the thing. It is a new year. It is a fresh start. I am a big fan of New Year's resolutions. I'm not one of those people that's going to poop on that, okay? I love fresh starts because what is the gospel about? It is about a fresh start. The awesome thing about freedom in Jesus Christ is that you don't even have to be the same person you were 10 seconds ago because his grace and mercy is new for you this morning. I'll never be one to discourage your New Year goals. So with the new year and this new opportunity, Radiant Church, we're going to talk a little bit about today. Are we going to be just seers of the word or also doers of the word? Are we going to allow God's word just to be recited or to permeate our innermost being? And what does that look like as a church? I'm excited to walk through that with you this morning. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are so good to us. You are so good to us. I say that all the time, and I will never stop because you are good. You are the good, true, consistent, faithful, promise-keeping Father. And you are near to us. You are here this morning. You dwell within us. And your spirit dwells in this place. And we can feel it here, Jesus. God, we thank you for the idea of a new year. We thank you for a fresh start. We thank you that with Jesus, because of his freedom, because of his grace, because of his mercy, we can start afresh. We can be new again in him, in your son. Because of what you've done for us. You've already gone before us. You've already won the battle. Victory is already yours. And because of that, victory can be ours. We feel you in this place this morning, Jesus. We're excited to worship you. We lay down our preferences and our opinions, and we give this service to you this morning, Father God. It's in the name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Radiant Church. I got a good night's sleep. How about you? Uh, yeah, on that. So, uh, Happy New Year. It's so great that you're here. You know, most of my pastor friends are not doing church today, and there's nothing wrong with that. I just, the thought of not hanging out with my family for a week is just unbearable. So we, you know, we come, and uh, we're the, the few, the many, the, the ones who are like, hey, I'm going, and I'm glad you're here. Welcome. If you're online, if you're traveling, man, safe travels to you out there. We're glad. And I had a great sermon for you today, um, and then I went and played cards with like 14 people last night. <laughs> And I realized, oh my goodness, I mean, these people need Jesus. And, uh, uh, you know, so maybe we just got to go a few steps backwards. No, we had a great time last night, and I warned them every time they were mean, I was going to make a sermon illustration out of them on that. But you know what? It reminded me when we're hanging out last night with a group of people of what I love about group dynamics. You know, if you're in a small group or you've hung out with a group long enough, you realize there's just different people in the group. They're all at different places, and every group's got some extroverts in it. You know what I mean? These are the ones who love to talk, who are laughing or a little bit louder. They're kind of out there in front of everybody. Yep, there are people looking at everybody uh, on that. And then there's the introverts, you know, maybe a little bit more like me. They're, they're a little quieter, a little more reserved in the room. And, and there's some that have the gift of hospitality in every group, and we love those folks. 
folks, and then there's another group that loves to eat the hospitality uh, of that group. You know, they're just, they're different. You know, in some groups, there's some people who love to go deeper into the word. They really like to study and they like to learn more. This year, if you were to look at them and go, hey, you know what? We're taking the entire year to go through the book of Leviticus. Man, you just made their day. Uh, you know, that that is their jam. And, and if it's not them, then you've got a, another group and their heart, are, they're just shepherds. They're people that care for others. They love others. They love to build a family. And man, we need more and more of that as a church to help us come together as one. But then there's another group too. And this is the doers is what I call them. These are the ones who love to get out there. They love to get it done. They kind of got this little bit of a, a, an angst to them. You know, they, there's just something inside of them. They've got to be in the game. They got to be working. They got to be making a difference. And I realized that in any group, man, we need all three of those sorts of folks. And the illustration I use to help us know what a healthy group looks like and what a healthy church looks like, as we talk a little bit about faith, is just the illustration of we need from the head to the heart to the hands. That's what we're looking for in the coming year. We need different people at different places because when we talk about the word faith, I'm always referring to at least three things. The first one is believing. And what we learned with that is that we believe with your head. And now if you have your worship guide when you came in, uh, on the back are some sermon notes with some blanks that you can fill in for that. The chair's got uh, some pens. And we do that because, A, there's something about when I write something down, I remember it better. And B, the purpose of that is for you to go into the week, prayerfully consider what we talked about today, and ask the Lord, reveal to me what you have to say. Where would you take me Reveal my heart to me in this. So if you follow along with that, I think it's great. But the first part of faith is believing. We believe with our head. But faith is more than just believing. And what we learn also about faith is it's trusting. And it is in trusting that we trust with our heart. For those who know the verse, trust the Lord with all your what? Heart, heart and lean not on your own understanding, right? So with our heart, we trust. But that's not enough either. There's also the third part, which is doing. And what we learn from that is obedience produces fruit. But it's not enough to just believe. It's not enough to just trust. There's also got to be doing. Because James would tell us faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. So it's all things. Faith is more than just a head exercise. It's more than just a heart exercise. And it's more than just doing. It is from our heads to our hearts, outpoured from our hands. We need all three working together. And when all three working together, we see a picture of Christ's church in action and we're doing it for the right reasons. You see, if, if we're only a church that has head knowledge, then we're just on the intellectual journey. And while we need to be growing in our Bible knowledge, as last year we journeyed through the Bible through the year, we need to continue that uh, journey. We need to continue learning and growing in the knowledge of Scripture and what Christ has taught us. But we cannot stop there. That knowledge then has to make its way into our heart. And we have to be a caring people, a people that, that love on each other, that shepherd one another, that create a family. This just can't be a place you come to to learn. It has to be a place where you belong as well. 
So that knowledge has to make its way into your heart. But it can't stop there either. Because what, what good is it to have a bunch of nice, friendly people that have a bunch of head knowledge, but don't do anything with it? It's got to make its way into our action too. Our lives have to reflect what our heads know and our hearts believe. It's got to be head to the heart to the hands. Because one thing that we can be clear of is this, and you've got to understand it. You can be doing the right things for the wrong reasons. If you're doing them and your heart isn't in them, if it's not aligned with Christ, we've got a great word for that in scripture called legalism, right? We're just following the rules at that point. Head's got to have the heart. Your actions have to have the heart. And Jesus would remind us, many of us would know the great prayer that many Orthodox Jews recite every single week. It's called the Shema. Jesus would repeat it out of Deuteronomy in Mark 12. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, which is your entire being, and with your mind and your strength. And right here we see a beautiful picture of that. Your mind is your head, your heart is your heart, your strength is your hands. Built right into this ancient idea given to the, to the Hebrews as they were out in the wilderness, weaving itself through the Old Testament and now through the New Testament, Jesus is telling us and reminding us it's got to be in your head, it's got to be in your heart, and it's got to be outpouring from your hands. Your soul is a reflection of all three. It is your holistic self. Today, though, because we could spend a lot of time talking about any one of these three, I'd like to talk briefly about our hearts. And I want to ask a question. What does your heart say about who you are? Down deep in the recesses of your heart, what does it say about you? And we go through the Bible has a ton to say about the heart. The heart is an important issue throughout the Bible. In fact, when you look at the teachings of Jesus, he talks about the heart many times as well. And we don't have time to go through each of those. So I just decided to look in Matthew. What, what in particular did Jesus have to say about the heart in the book of Matthew? And right away, something stood out that he had to say. He said, be pure in heart. He said, don't commit adultery in the heart, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Here's a difficult one for Christians, by the way. This one makes people mad sometimes when I preach on it. It's okay. It says, your heart follows your treasure. It does not say your treasure follows your heart. You want to get your heart right? Start with your treasure. What am I doing with what God has given me? Jesus told us to imitate him when he said, be gentle and humble in heart. He would tell us the mouth speaks what your heart is full of. And we'll talk about that in a second as well, too. And then he says, we understand from our hearts. And in other words, it's from our hearts that we begin to become wise. Because wisdom entails not only understanding, but discernment with it. And that begins in the heart. And so the question we have to ask ourselves today, if we're to be the church that I believe that God's calling us to be, is to ask ourselves, what's the condition of your heart? How you doing? How's your heart? Because there's one verse in Matthew that Jesus talked about the heart I left out because I do want to dive further into this verse and I want to explore it a little bit more. That verse is in Matthew 15 and he tells us, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, 
sexual immorality, theft, go back please, false testimony, and slander. And it's really easy to look at this verse for a lot of us and right away go, you know what, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not sure I check off a bunch of these boxes. I, I, I don't kill, uh, you, know, I, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I'm doing pretty well. But how many of you have learned that just because we have human definitions of what something means, that Jesus often had very different definitions about it? How many of you have learned that? And we're going to dive into that a little bit today. Because some of these things do apply to us. In fact, what I call these is relationship killers. Those will destroy any relationship when you allow them in. And so I want to look at them a little bit further today and have you reflect in your heart. Am I struggling with any of these? What did Jesus mean when he was talking to me? And so let's start with that first one. Let's talk about murder. Now, most of us, I think, if I asked how many of you would say, I've never murdered anybody, you'd raise your hand. you say, I I've never actually murdered someone. But are you aware that Jesus told us that if you hate someone, you've already done it? If you have hate in your heart, you've committed murder. Are you aware the Bible talks on numerous occasions that your words have the ability to speak life or what? death. Your words have the ability to speak life or death. And if you hate someone, you've already committed murder in your heart. So Jesus sees murder a little bit differently than we do. And what we learned then from scripture is something that I want you to carry with you in this coming year. And I think so important. You can murder somebody with your words. That next conversation you're about to have, that, that thing you're going to say, you either can speak life into them or death. That's why your moms were good to teach you when you were younger, if, if she did, to count to 10 before you say that next thing. It's because words matter. And if you've ever had someone come up and vomit on you with their words, you know how disgusting it feels. It's as if something inside you dies. Your words can kill. The second one is adultery. Now, how many of you know you don't have to actually cheat on your spouse with someone else to commit adultery? Because Jesus said, if you even look lustfully at another person, you have committed adultery in your heart. Jesus had a much deeper definition of adultery than we do. In fact, one of the biggest charges repeatedly that God had with Israel throughout the Old Testament about who they were and why he was angry with them at times was because of adultery. He told them that Israel was adulterous. And what did he mean by that? He meant they were worshiping idols. They were cheating on him with other gods. What's an idol? An idol is anything that comes between you and your perfect worship of God. It is that which has your time and attention that distracts you from your relationship with Christ in everything you do. It's ultimately about 
your worship. And there are many things. You can start with the big three out there on that, which is money, sex, and power. Do you struggle with any one of those? They're, they're a good starting point, but there's a lot of other ways for us to commit adultery. And there are many idols in our lives, whether it's money or, or things. But here's a surprise. Do you know your kids can be an idol? Ooh. Careful, Jason, you're stepping on my toes. Your kids can be an idol too. Do you know social media can be an idol? Because it's all about what has your time and attention. And that which has your time and attention, hear me on this, has your worship. And there's something everyone needs to know. I don't care how big of an atheist you are. Everybody worships something. In your case, it just might be you worship you. Reflect on your life. What has my time and attention? Is it God or something else? The third one, sexual immorality. That's a fun one in our culture today, isn't it? People have told me this before. Jesus never talked about sexual immorality or sexual sin or anything like that. Oh, yeah? He talked about it in this verse. And please let me be clear, because we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. When Jesus talked about sexual immorality, don't be ignorant. He was a first century Jewish man that had a very Old Testament view about what sexual immorality was. He did not have a 2023 American cultural Western Hemisphere view on sexual immorality. He had had a very strict Jewish first century view on sexual immorality. Please don't be ignorant on that. And Jesus didn't seem to care if anybody agreed with him or not. How many of you know Jesus wasn't as popular as we'd like to think he was in his day? And you say, well, he seemed popular. Yeah, he was so popular they nailed him to a cross. Jesus wasn't interested in aligning with the culture on his definition of sexual immorality. He was much more interested in telling them the word of God. And we have to be as well. But what's at the core of sexual immorality? Because we can focus on sex and gender and things like that. We're not going to do it. You want to know what's at the core of the problem of sexual immorality? It's this. It's using a God-given gift in a God-forbidden way. And sex is a gift given to us by the creator meant for the marriage bed. And it is a gift that we all too often misuse. But let's not stop there, Okay. Are there other God-given gifts in your life that are you are misusing and, and utilizing them in a God-forbidden way? Because it's no different than sexual immorality when we do that. What gifts, talents, treasures have you been given that you are using in a God-forbidden way? Sex is just one example. The next one is theft. He talks about, and most of us understand what theft is. It's stealing and... If we were raised right, we were taught not to steal from preschool or earlier or elementary, whatever it may be. Nobody teaches it's okay to, to, to steal, and you're not allowed to take things that aren't yours. That's kindergarten philosophy on that. So we understand it. But did you know you can steal more than just someone's stuff? You can steal someone's joy. You can steal someone's trust. You can steal their innocence from them. 
You can steal love, hope, you name it. As we put on there, my hope this year as a church, and you look at your life, are you a hope giver or a joy taker? Which one are you? As a person and just who you are and the conversations you have in your being, are you naturally known as someone who gives somebody hope and joy? Or is there something about your just crotchetiness and your grumpiness and your meanness that steals it from them? May we be a church that is known for its joy and its hope and its love and its peace and never steal that from someone's heart. The next one is false testimony. It's another one we teach our kids. What do we mean when we say false testimony? We mean lying. That's what it is. To give false testimony is to lie. It's to not tell the truth. And most of us know. I think if I looked out there, rarely do I look at it and go, you shouldn't lie. And someone goes, I've never heard of that. I, I mean, I think most of us understand you shouldn't lie. It's, again, kindergarten philosophy. But there's a way of lying that can be harder for us to see. And we talked about this in the last year when we went through the series Live No Lies. Remember that? There are the lies we tell ourselves. There are the lies that we allow the enemy to speak into our life. There are the lies that many of us are living out each day when we're pretending to be something that we're not. Because when we pretend to be something we're not, we destroy relationships. Why? Because we fail to be authentic, transparent, and real. We're pretending. And we're hiding behind masks at that time, aren't we? Like I want to paint an image of who I want to be, the ideal self, because if you really knew who I was underneath this mask, you'd hate me. That's the lie we believe. If you really knew who I was, what I thought, what I was doing, you'd hate me. That's a lie from the pit of hell. This year, my hope is that we stop lying to ourselves. Stop pretending. Lose the mask. Be authentic and real. Here's what I want you to know. Even those I played cards with last night. <laughs> I love you for who you are. And the reason why is because Jesus loves you for who you are. And he loved me for where I was. And I got to tell you, when Jesus found me, I wasn't in a good place. He loves you. Take the mask off. The last one is slander. Slander is a huge relationship killer because like when we talked about our words, slander is destructive. It involves lying. It involves our words. It involves several of these as we put them together. But with slander, we decide to literally destroy someone else. And I hope this year maybe that we can just commit to building someone up rather than tearing them down. But that can be hard. What are some ways that we tear people down? Well, we gossip behind them behind their backs, right? I call that the meeting behind the meeting. Here's another one that's just so subtle. We plant seeds of doubt about someone else's character 
But it can be so subtle because you can go, well, I don't know. Well, that person's at that thing, well, you know, maybe they're not as on the straight and narrow as you think. We just, we, we plant these little seeds of doubts here and there, and after a while, those seeds blossom. Third way is that we just say things that aren't true about someone else. All three are wrong, and we need to stop. There's two things I'd like to ask of you this year as a church body. For us to work on, I'm going to work on it. The team's going to work on it. I want us to really be diligent about this because this one is so destructive to a family. And the first thing is this. Assume the best in others before assuming the worst. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Are you the sort of person that immediately assumes the best or the worst in somebody? On that. Which is it? Are you someone who, who understands that there is a possibility that I may not understand all the facts in this situation? I may not know everything that's going on. And so I'm going to give this person the benefit of the doubt before I assume they're being evil. This one's hard, but I want to challenge you to it this year. Can we give someone the benefit of the doubt first? The second thing is this. Can we protect people's greatness in everything they do? You say, what do you mean by that, Jason? What I mean is this. I believe with all my heart that God created all things and that he created us to be his image bearers. And because we are his image bearers, particularly those who are believers in Christ, we are sons and daughters of the living God. And as sons and daughters of the living God, you, my friend, are royalty. You are a son and daughter of the king. How dare we ever speak against royalty? Do you see your brother and sister in Christ as royalty? That they are sons and daughters of the king of the universe who demand and deserve enormous dignity and respect. What would it look like as a church if we did both of these things in the coming year? We assumed the best before assuming the worst and we protected people's greatness and everything we did. Even when you're mad at them. Even when you disagree even if in the moment you don't maybe like them. There are times we don't like, but we are called to always love. You know what I mean? Can we protect other people's greatness and choose to build them up rather than tearing them down? Why? Because I have to ask, what could Jesus do with a church that behaved this way? And I believe that that church can transform a community with all my heart. That's my hope this year. I give you that illustration because I want you to reflect on it. What would it be as a church if it was not just in our head, but moved to our hearts and outpoured from our hands? We need all three. Because the truth is, you can be the smartest theologian out there and have knowledge beyond every person in this room, but you don't do anything with that knowledge. What good is it? I'll be honest with you. Some of the smartest theologians I've known are some of the meanest Christians I've ever met. 
because they're more concerned with being right than they are loving. You know what I mean? What good is head knowledge without heart on that? And if your heart isn't fully in the game, that's the other part. So it comes to our head and then with our heart. Are, are you in the game? Are you loving? Are you part of a family? Are you discipling? Are, 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 are you shepherding the people? What happens when our heart is in the game? And I'll give you a chilling reminder Jesus gave us from the prophet Isaiah. And he told us in Matthew 15, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is in vain. What good is lip service if your heart isn't there? You know what I mean? What good is head knowledge if your heart isn't there? You know, you can go through the actions of coming to church and pretending to like people, and your heart can be far away from God. What I want to ask you is this. Are you truly in love with Jesus? I'm not going to stop there, so hang with me. Are you in love with his family? See the second part there? Are you in love with Jesus? But are you in love also with his family called the church? Are you just going through the motions? Are you just checking church off on a list of things to do? Are you pretending? Is your heart in the game? And for the last group out there, you, we've talked about it. You love helping people, man. We'll find you in the food pantry. We'll find you out just serving in the community, all the place. You've just got a passion in your soul to go serve others. And man, we love that. We need to be a light in the darkness of our communities. We need to be a blessing in our communities. It needs to be that if we were to disappear tomorrow, our community would be severely depressed about that. Are we the sort of church that if we closed our doors tomorrow, we'd be dearly missed? Yes, we need to go through the actions, but I need to remind my friends who have that, that angst to serve which is wonderful. Don't forget to grow in knowledge in the Lord and don't lose the disconnect from the heart because again, then you're just going through the actions or you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You say, what are those? Well, maybe you're trying to impress other people or worse yet, maybe you're trying to impress God. And can I tell you something? You can't impress God. God loves you just for who you are because he created you. You don't have to earn God's favor. When we serve the community, it can't be out of obligation. It needs to be from the heart. We love you because Christ loved us, and we know no better right now than to serve you as Christ served us. May that be our posture, and may it be all three. My desire this year as a church is that simple. May it go from our heads to our hearts to our hands. We need all three. Fair enough?